What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. And because it's Wednesday, you know. The other person on the line right now, it's Austin Gale of ProFootballFocus.com. Austin, good evening. How are you? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, man. What a weekend of football. Oh, for sure. I mean, they definitely took some L's there. I thought the Colts were going to be able to pull that one out, and it was definitely wrong. But then I had a guy that was... I may have uh, (laughs) messaged you about that, and I still am waiting on my response to uh, the Colts Chiefs. That was that was rough. I didn't see I, I didn't see them losing that badly. That was incredible. I think really Frank Wright got out coached. You know, his game script in the game before was fantastic. And then Andy Reid shows up and does not he does not have the same results. I think Frank Wright got conservative really early because his play calling wasn't working out of the gate. And next thing you know, you're in too big of a hole against a Chiefs team that can put up, you know, loads of points at any given moment. Well, okay, so I took a bunch of notes for this game, and one of the things that stood out to me, there, it was eerie how similar the Chiefs game went with how the Pats played the following day, where these two offenses kind of knew what they could do um, against this defense, where um, they both relied on two players individually, both games. So if you look at the targets of James White and Julian Edelman on Sunday against the Chargers, I think they totaled like 32 um, targets and like 30 catches between the two. I think, what, uh, did Edelman have 15 and Sonny Michelle had 13? Something like that. They're both in the mid-10s, 12, 13, something like that. And they got targeted a couple more times than they even caught passes. And you look at their pass charts. And you look at um, the time that Rivers had to go downfield. All of his misses were downfield. So I was looking at next-gen stats and kind of seeing if the what I saw when I was watching backed up um, kind of after the fact with the tape and stuff. And um, I saw the same kind of stuff with uh, Kansas City where they're like, you know what? I don't think the Colts have an answer for Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. So basically the entire first half was them just getting first down after first down, just diming them. I mean, there was a big play to Sammy Watkins over the middle that he reeled in and did that. And that was his like one catch of the game because he had a bad drop, I think, later on that first quarter. But um, they had Damian Williams and halfback draws every now and then that were effective. I think he scored the first touchdown. It was nice. But ultimately, they found two guys they knew that this defense did not have answers for, and they just controlled time possession. They didn't do dumb stuff with the ball. 
it helps when you have a quarterback that can throw sidearms and scramble around like Patrick Mahomes does because they did get some pressure, especially in the second quarter. Like Mahomes took some bad hits in the second quarter and he was struggling a little bit and they had to sell for a field goal because um, the Colts finally started getting pressure. But like it was the same kind of scheme to me where like they both just pinpointed two guys on offense and just nickeled and dimed these two teams to death. And uh, it was sad because the Colts and the Chargers had no answers for James White, Julian Edelman, Travis Kelsey, and um, Tyreek Hill. Is that a fair assessment of what I saw? Absolutely. I think to go off that Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill comment, you know, Travis Kelsey had, I think, 10 catches all for first downs in the first yes. three quarters of the game. It, it was incredible to see just how quickly they were able to attack you know, Darius Leonard and Anthony Walker in coverage. That was a huge struggle. And then also I was surprised by Damian Williams play. I get yeah, the offensive line played well and performed against a kind of lackluster Colts front seven, but he forced a lot of missed tackles. He he made plays above expectation. And I think having that from a running back, you know, after losing Kareem Hunt is exciting for this Chiefs offense, especially when you can already lean on Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. I, I mean, when you have, it's just so many weapons at your disposal. Sammy Watkins throws in a one-handed catch for fun. And at this yeah. point, you're up 21-0 against the Colts. And, and to go what you said about James White and Julian Elman, absolutely. And I also think another thing that I pulled from that game is Gronkowski looks like old Gronkowski. He was blocking better in the run game, catching passes over the middle. So pass I mean, he only had one catch, I think, in that game, right? He wasn't really targeted. He wasn't a factor. But not not in the passing game, I get. I did see that one where he was able to break loose for a little bit yards after the catch, and then also for the blocking aspect, him being yeah. a better run blocker. You see, early in the season, he got hosed by T.J. Watt and hosed by other edge defenders. In this game, he looked like his dominant self, and that right. dominant Rob Gronkowski as a run blocker is key for that run game that has gotten better and better every week down the stretch. Yeah, Sonny Michelle ran all over him. He had like what, like three touchdowns on the day, and it was just it was funny because it felt like the conversation uh, leading up to that game was, well, Chris Hogan has had success. I think it was a year ago that he had success against the Chargers when they last played. I think it was 2017, and um, he was a non-factor. And guys who we thought might be a factor in this game, like Ron Gronkowski, attacked the zone because the Chargers did a bunch of zone. Um, have those seven DBs out there? Can those kind of guys cover uh, Rob Gronkowski? Are they going to use him more? And that was not the case. And they were just like, nope, we're just going to run the ball. We're going to block really well. And uh, that's what we're going to do to you. But um, the other thing on the Chiefs, I don't want to bring back because I do have some more Pat's Charter stuff. Um, the Chiefs, they also did this thing that uh, it turns out it's a fun thing to do in the playoffs when you want to step on a team's neck is go for it on every fourth and short you have and i just i was blown away by like just how confident they were and i i appreciated it where they were like nope fourth and one damian williams we're gonna stack the box we're not we're gonna run it right up the middle and they did that multiple times and it worked and the drives kept going and they scored points off of it and i think that cannot be an understated point um about this game because the colts defense just got tired and they were just on the field a lot and this was kind of one of those things where it's like, this was my biggest concern with the Chiefs Colts game. And I'm um, seeing the top four offenses in football on the final four um, kind of speaks to this, but like they're not a team that can come from behind. Like the, what they did against Houston the week prior was really cute, but that's not something that they can do week in, week out, especially against a high powered offense. And um, I don't know. I just, I appreciated the chiefs being bold and just wanting to go for the jugular early on because Andrew Luck did not have time. He was scrambling. There were some bad drops in there. They had some a lot of tip passes, which was kind of strange. Did you notice like multiple 
uh, balls were tipped at the line in that game, which you don't see very often, especially with someone like Luck, and that was a drive killer. And a lot of three and outs, which is something you uh, you can't do when you have Patrick Mahomes in the other sideline um, to keep on your defense back on the field. But uh, I don't know. I just it, it was really fascinating to see because both of these games were over in the first half, and they were over for very different reasons. You look at the Colts, and that defense was wrecked. From the Chiefs opening game script. 21 points easy. Every drive looked easy. Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Damian Williams, everyone's firing on all cylinders. You look at the Colts on offense, they had a game script in place, but they go out three and out early because of drop passes, batted balls, and negative plays on early downs. Not necessarily mm-hmm. a game plan on the Chiefs end, but a little bit of misfortune and also not being able to you know produce on early downs. Then mm-hmm. you know, now you're down 21-0. Game script didn't work on defense, and your offense sputtered due to misfortune and some bad luck. I mean, not so bad luck, but bad perf- execution on early downs. But then this defense, you know, this team got back into it. The blocked punt got them into seven, and they also had, you know, a strip sack to where, you know, they were in the red zone, and then Andrew Luck gets strip sacked. I think there were plenty of opportunities for this, you know, Colts team to come back, but even outside that opening game script, outside that 21 0 deficit, they were able to inched their way back and failed to deliver when given the opportunity by their defense. I think you have to point the finger at Andrew Luck not being able to get it done, even though he was given plenty of opportunities to crawl back into that game. What did you make of T.Y. Uh, T. Hilton being a non-factor? Him and Ebron basically were just just non-existent. I, I couldn't tell if these guys weren't getting open, but it was just kind of surprising that this Chiefs defense was able to put on this show that they were because I, I just I wonder – um, what happened there? Because they do have one good corner that I know you guys at PFF like. I'm blanking on his name right now. Desmond um, King. Yes, and I, I I don't know. I I think it was it was interesting that T. Y. Hilton was just a non-factor because I assumed if they were going to have a shot in this game, especially when they were down 21 nothing, they would start just firing downfield. But maybe they just didn't have time. And they've been very careful with Andrew Luck this year with the incubator and great offensive line play, which is a good, it might be a problem next year because. Um, Frank Reich let his uh, offensive line coach uh, go elsewhere because um, he wanted his quote-unquote own guy. This own guy stuff, baffling to me. If you already know you have a great offensive line coach that is producing one of the best offensive lines in football, even if it was a Josh McDaniels hire and not your own, why? Why move that? Why adjust <laughs> on that? Like, why do you need your own guy? You know this guy you have in-house is very good. It was under awkward circumstances. I understand that, but like, What? I feel like that's like the most under the radar. I mean, there's been a bunch of crazy offensive line and uh, Mike Munchak going a lateral move to Denver and everything else. But like that one just stood out to me that no one's talking about it. Like, oh, this is really bad potentially for Andrew Luck and the Colts, depending on who they hired or placed him. Because there aren't many good offensive line coaches in the NFL. A lot of the offensive lines are bad. And when you have a good one, maybe don't rock the boat. Definitely. And I think it goes under the radar and definitely a surprise move because of how much they've improved. But I think there is something behind the scenes going on there. Denzel Good, who left you know Indianapolis, I think was released and signed with the Oakland Raiders, had comments about the offensive line coach in Indy and saying that, you know, some negative things, things that didn't go his way and questioned some of his decisions at the offensive line coach. You know, the offensive line coach specifically, and I think there might have been some, you know, behind the scenes stuff. Maybe the players were playing above expectation. Offensive line coach wasn't contributing as much as, you know, from the outside looking in, like it looks like he did. However, of course, all of that speculation. Not, I mean, I think the my guy is something that goes on every NFL roster. Every coach in the NFL wants his guys and his friends, his buddies that he's done it with. So I'm not surprised by that in the slightest. But hearing some of those rumors about. Maybe he wasn't the guy that he was. Yes, the production was there, but maybe behind the scenes wasn't handling things well. 
I don't care. You know he's good. It's just the offensive line play in this league is shit. Most teams would kill, like the Minnesota Vikings would kill to have this guy. I, I just, I don't care if he's an absolute jackass behind the scenes. If he's going to produce a top five offensive line and keep my franchise quarterback upright for the next five to 10 years, yes, whatever. Be a headache. It's fine. I don't care. I mean, I see that and I see it. I don't see it, you know, because if it, there is, you know, people unhappy behind the scenes and specific players unhappy behind the scenes, that can be tough to deal with. And if it already you are getting paid money to be good and he's helping you be good at your job, even if you're mad at him, he's helping you make money by t- coaching you well. I, I agree, but w- w- when you see the head coach have that, you know, maybe has disagreements with his offensive yeah. line coach, he wants his own guy, and he's hearing from players that it's not working out, and maybe it's Quentin Nelson being good. Maybe it's the guy they drafted, Braden Smith, being good, Ryan Kelly. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the talent at a certain point, because from the outside looking in, it's very difficult to say how much that offensive line coach played a factor. I think it's easy, you know, sacks allowed, offensive line improvement. Is that the coach? Is that drafting two new starters? <laughs> it's It's hard to say, and I think... With some of the stuff being said by Denzel Good, and obviously him p- being pushed out in the first place, you have to you have to look at that. Frank Reich didn't look at him and say, "Hey, you improved our offensive line so much." Yet I don't like you. That, I, I think it was deeper than that. I think it was deeper in what he performed behind the scenes, and even anecdotal evidence rather than numerical and um, quantitative evidence that he was a bad offensive line coach. Maybe he was a bad person. I don't know. It, it, I just think there's more there than there. You know, that meets the eye. I don't know. I just, a lot of pressure on Frank Reich to have a good offensive line next year. That's all I'll say. So when you see in week four, Andrew Luck uh, doesn't have a shoulder anymore. Uh, well, I encourage everybody to revisit this portion of the podcast because uh, we told you so. That uh, sometimes it just pays to have people that are annoying in your office and doing whatever. If they're good at their job, who cares? Uh, move on. Just don't talk to him as often as you would someone you like. Frank Wright, just stay out of the room. I, I, I just, I, I don't know. It's just baffling to me. And he'll go somewhere else. Maybe the Falcons can get him because they're changing schemes uh, this offseason with Dirk Cutter and everybody else and the entire 2012 um, memorable Atlanta Falcons. But anyway, um, is there any other thing about the Colts and Chiefs game that stood out to you that you wanted to pinpoint? Because I know you've been... You've been in, I don't want to say you've been fascinated by the Colts this season, but obviously you picked them to win in Kansas City. Um, What about this game and this uh, team with Indianapolis specifically stood out to you um, that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, it, it was surprising to see Frank Reich out coach, to be honest, to see a play okay. caller that dominated the Houston script and then go into Kansas City and be kind of you know knocked on his ass. Really, I, I think he did. He didn't expect whatever case he brought to the table and really failed to deliver. And I think outside of that, for the future, there's a lot of young talent on this team. Like I said, Braden Smith and Quill Nelson are both rookies and did fantastic jobs in the playoffs. You know, Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith. Braden Smith went against J.J. Watt, D. Ford. Justin Houston, Jadavion Clowney, he's had a tough... And he ran all over him. But at the same time, he did not allow as nearly as many pressures as some other tackles in this league. Other mm-hmm. rookie offensive tackles, Colton Miller, Brandon Parker, Julian Davenport, all these rookie offensive tackles that have struggled significantly. And he played guard in college. He played guard at Auburn, and they put him at right tackle, and he is far exceeded by expectations, and it speaks to the future of that offensive line. I, I mean, I'm excited to see you know where this Colts team's going because of that youth, both on the offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball is that is, is it baffling for you guys at pff to see guards in college be able to move around to tackle or tackles in college play guard like what is the most surprising line 
shift coming out from the college game to the pro game? I think guard to tackle, if you're a long-armed dude like Braden Smith is, and he graded very well at Auburn at guard for, you know, in, at the college level from us. And I think to see him make that transition and play as well as he has is unquestionably surprising. However, somewhat expected, more expected than you would see, you know, a six foot three, you know, short armed guard trying to move the tackle. But he's a long arm dude that kind of looks like an offensive tackle that's trying to play guard, similar to an Andrews Pete. But him being able to play right tackle and have that versatility is so underrated. When every, you know, Colts obviously had some luck with not getting injured along the offensive line a ton. But having that piece like Brain Smith who can play kind of all along the offensive line is going to come up huge when those injuries do strike. I think that that's been very surprising for us. What does Chris Ballard have to do this offseason to get the Colts to 12 and 4, 13 and 3 in the AFC where they have home field advantage, at least as the number one or number two seed? Do they have a real shot at a Super Bowl with Andrew Luck? Yes, I, I 100% think so. I think they need to add receiving talent. It can't be just a banged up T.Y. Hilton that's getting it done. They've mm. made a star out of Eric Ebron, and I think there's potential in Dontrell Inman, but you need some bigger names than that. You needed that Philip Dorsett pick that you took in the first round to pan out. Now it's time to go back into the well, find another pass-catching threat. Then keep Ebron, obviously, you struck gold on an underrated castaway. And on the defensive side of the ball, continue to beef up that secondary. You have Malik Hooker, who was injured and missed that game against Kansas City. You have Pierre year who's gonna go into an expiring contract maybe resign that kid and quincy wilson out of florida getting that young secondary up to snuff and maybe even adding some talent on the back end makes sense lastly find a pass rusher Danico autry a castaway from the oakland raiders can't be your best pass rusher and jabal sheard is only getting older find a guy that can win one-on-one battles on every down like every good team has trey flowers khalil mack von miller you know calais campbell even finding a guy like that that can dominate is so key for top nfl defenses and it's why they get paid like they do von miller khalil mack etc okay um yeah i think it was a good year and i think the Colts are moving in the right direction this is an okay loss it looks bad losing the way they did but i think chris ballard has this group um moving in the right direction i think just like you said add more firepower add another receiver um do not draft a running back um, maybe even keep adding a uh, another more offensive line help because I don't think you can never have too many offensive linemen. But um, yeah, I think they're moving in the right direction. I still think that they have the best trajectory of anyone in the AFC South by a significant margin. Um, all right, let's talk about the Chargers and what happened because this was my one loss this postseason. It's the only game I've gotten wrong thus far, and I was very wrong because the the Chargers got blown out, and this one was over early. Um, that second quarter of hell with 21 nothing, uh, Pats. What did you see um, as to why the Chargers just were not able to do anything against this Patriots defense? And uh, I, I just I, I don't want to dumb it down, but it felt like to me it was just he had no time. Rivers just that Trey Flowers and company were just all over him, and they had a lot of hits, a couple sacks, like. It just seemed like their offensive line just got destroyed. Is that all it was, or was it um, Stephon Gilmore and everyone in the back end were able to lock everybody up? Mike Williams, Tyrell Williams, Keenan Allen only had one or two catches. Um, he had that big touchdown, but like he wasn't targeted a bunch. And then, you know, they couldn't establish the run game. Melvin Gordon was a non-factor. They ran for like 45 yards. And, um, I mean, that's something we even talked about with the Colts. Like Marlon Mack, who was the hero of the week before, could not run at all. Uh, and obviously they can't run when you're playing uh, down significant points early on. But um, what happened outside of, I guess, Trey Flowers and company getting a lot of pressure on Philip Rivers, causing them to uh, not have time to go downfield, not having time to let routes develop? Uh, what did you see? 
<laughs> so defensively, pressure helps. I think pressure helps a ton at always, especially when you're going against a quarterback that like Philip Rivers. In addition to that, I, I think Stefan Gilmore, J.C. Jackson, which is a name you're going to have to start knowing because this kid is playing out of this world for the Pats, yet no one knows who this guy is. And I think he's done an he's outstanding— the opposite corner to uh, Stefan Gilmore. He's basically like, what, the new Malcolm Butler? Yes, exactly. I mean, he's an unheralded guy that they just found out of nowhere, and Bill Belichick has managed to make this guy good. And he's allowing one of the lowest passer ratings in the NFL, along with Stefan Gilmore, an underrated tandem to say the least. Devin McCourty also playing well helps, and I think they gave him looks that they don't normally play all season, and it put Philip Rivers in a loop. And when you're when you're shifting looks around, forcing Steph, you know, having Stefan Gilmore follow guys, it, it makes things very difficult. And then you go on the offensive end. The Chargers' defensive game plan was absolutely exposed. They, you know, they they threw at a soft zone at Tom Brady, and he ate it like it was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There he didn't was go downfield no, like at all. If you he didn't have the pass to. Chart, it was just he didn't do it. Yeah, he didn't have to though. When yeah. you're playing soft zone, like the Colts play a lot of, they mm-hmm. eliminate the big, the deep shots. But when you have an accurate quarterback who makes elite decisions all the time, a great decision maker, he's going to eat you up with James White, Julian Edelman. Gronk all over the middle, all coming out of the backfield. And it makes it so difficult when they break one tackle, it's a big play. And I think you can play soft zone against bad quarterbacks because you have to force a lot of tight window throws and force consistent accuracy. But Tom Brady, he's the best in the biz when it comes to coming consistent, accurate throws and good decisions. Did you see that coming? That game plan of just attacking this zone and kind of attacking what the Chargers were throwing out with Gus Bradley's scheme? Or did you think they were going to attack the Chargers defense in other ways? I, I didn't expect the Chargers to do so much soft zone, if I'm going to be honest. I, I think mm-hmm. the, the Pats might have went into it expecting more man coverage. I mean, Desmond King is a great cover corner. Casey Hayward kind of forgotten because of Desmond King's success. Another great cover corner. Why wasn't Derwin James locking up Gronk or you know, manning up on, on James White? That's a guy yeah. that excels in man coverage. Instead, exactly. played a lot. spying James White. That made a lot of sense, too. Like yeah. That seemed like an obvious thing. Mm-hmm. And when you have that kind of soft zone, you put your playmakers in a position, a really reactive position where you have to react all the time. Well, with man coverage, maybe you know where you're going, you're sticking with your guy. And and that made things difficult against a surgical Tom Brady, very surgical. And that Tom Brady is going to come in game in and game out. Unless you throw pressure in his face or start sticking man coverage and finding ways to cover his guys, it's going to be very hard to stop that guy when he's picking apart your tight zones. Are you a believer in Sonny Michelle as a guy that you can just uh, run at the middle over and over again? Is this offensive line with Shaq Mason and company just good enough to let him have those kind of holes against the Chiefs this upcoming? I mean, we'll preview that game a little bit, but um, Sonny Michelle, it was a coming out party for him, right? I'm a believer in the offensive line, Shaq Mason, Trent Brown, mm-hmm. James Devlin. They still use a fullback. And that yeah. rushing offense, a very complex, interesting, creative rushing attack that uses Gronkowski well on wham and outside zone. Skarnecchia is killing it right now as the offensive line coach, putting together a scheme that Sony Michelle, James White, CJ Anderson, anyone could run through because of how, how successful that offensive line is playing up front. I, I, I said this on multiple radio, radio shows all, all through this week. The Patriots run game is real. It got a lot better down the last six weeks of the regular season and it's carried it into the postseason if they find a way to get a two score lead on you it's not going to be easy to get it back because they play the run i mean they're playing they're running the football so well right now you do not want to get in a deficit against this team hmm. well i think that's why uh, chase pats is going to be so much fun um because i really want to see one of those te- teams getting a bad deficit and see how they respond um 
Julian Edelman and James White, you've touched on them a lot, but what did you see specifically that stood out to you of like how they actually took over in the passing game? I think when you have so much volume and you're able to attack zone, uh, soft zone coverage and find holes in the zone and make plays after the catch, that fits the skill set of James White and Julian Edelman to a T. Julian Edelman is so good at finding the soft zones and the holes in the zones over the middle of the field, and that's why Tom Brady loves him. And James White, when you're coming out of the backfield, it's rare that someone's going to be in your face near the line of scrimmage. You're going to be able to catch the ball, make some plays, I mean, make force some missed tackles and gain yards after the catch. I think those guys come up huge in a de- going against a defensive game plan like the Chargers brought to the table. When you start to play more man coverage, put you know put your money where your mouth is. Say you got your guy versus my guy. It's a lot harder to hone in on those guys and give them so many targets like they did. Yeah, but uh, it was effective and very demoralizing as I was watching it at a bar in Atlanta. Um, just kept waiting for uh, Pip to wake up, and uh, unfortunately, he was already dead. Um, but you know, great season, another great season for the chargers. Like they have a lot to, um, be proud about. Like this was a team that won what 12 games this year. They went 12 and four, um, yeah, that's, season. that's, uh, pretty remarkable. And, um, they were just, I mean, they went into a buzzsaw against the best coach of all time. And I feel bad for Pip because I feel like this is it, right? That was his best shot at a Super Bowl. In Los Angeles, uh, Pat Mahomes' so. group isn't going anywhere, and <laughs> everything went right. The injury bug did not really demoralize this team this year. Um, they got Joey Bosa back at the right time. Like, I don't know. Everything just seemed like it was coming together in their favor, and I wonder if Pat Mahomes just doesn't turn into a supernova freak of nature. Um, they get that first round by. They get. They don't have to face the Pats still. Um, the AFC Championship game, that kind of deal. I, I don't know. It feels kind of like what happened to the Bengals years ago with Andy Dalton, kind of like what the Steelers have run into a couple times when they played the Pats. Like, they're just some guys where you're like, ah, they just avoided the Patriots. They might have had a shot. But <laughs> it, uh, they got Belichick. And, you know, I hope we don't overreact because this was a very, very good football team. They were top 10 in both offensive and defensive DBOA. They belonged. I just I wouldn't make too much of it. They just got out schemed. They played a bad defensive scheme against this group. Tom Brady, the best quarterback of all time, nickel and dime them to death. Like it was just, you know, sometimes the better team wins. Like the Pats were just better. And that's okay. It's okay to lose to the Pats and Brady and Belichick. It's fine. It like it sucks for Phillip Rivers and he's probably never gonna win the Super Bowl now, but whatever. Good season. I love you. Philip Rivers, I love you, Anthony Lynn and that group. I, uh, you're doing your part, and you know, draft a quarterback this offseason or something. I don't know. Time is running out for Philip Rivers, so definitely drafting quarterback should be high priority. And is it though? He's still like grading out like what third best in PFF grading this year. No, absolutely. I'm saying he's still playing high level, and so is Tom Brady. But I still think yeah. both those teams should be looking at quarterbacks even as early as first round and second round. I mean, it's so hard to find the next guy so hard to find another franchise piece that you could play for what both of those guys have played 15 16 plus years in the nfl finding the next guy like that takes a lot of swings at the bat and i think starting now and starting to sift through some quarterbacks find finding those guys in the draft makes a ton of sense for both teams what makes trey flowers so effective as a pass rusher because i was going through your thread of like frank clark and he's just fucking bananas with his speed and athleticism <laughs> off the edge but like trey flowers is someone i've never really understood like and also we need to give a shout out to my dude adrian claiborne who had a very good game and has been good for the past this year who the falcons did not bring back for whatever reason um because adrian claiborne turns out better than vic beasley oh yeah um, and if you want another update to the falcons pass rush pass rush situation it's uh tack mckinley is uh just 
I don't even know if I want to go into it, but that report this week was uh, concerning. Oh, yeah. What's going on there? Um, so no tack and Vic Beasley being gone. Like, I, I just I, I don't even know who's rushing the passer for the Atlanta Falcons next year. But uh, whatever. We'll talk about that on another podcast. But what makes Trey Flowers so effective and so different than other pass rushers like Von Miller and guys like that? He has a range of moves and can dominate against both the pass and the rush. He, he can win after his first move fails. That's so hard to find at the edge defender position. Even some of the best edge defenders really only ever win on their first move. You can look at some guys like Jadavion Clowney. If he doesn't get the speed off the edge, sometimes he can struggle to work through the block. Trey Flowers knows how to work through a block. He's got the rip and pull, can swim outside, you know, cut inside, knows stunts well. It's just so exciting to see a technically sound, strong dude play like he has and he graded so well for us coming out of arkansas we picked him as a uh, an underrated guy that got drafted way too low and it's great to see how much success he's had since and i think he's a guy that's going to get paid in the offseason i don't know if it's going to be the pass because i don't know if it's going to be the pass the pats don't really pay a lot of guys but if there is a guy to pay it's him and i think as we continue to see and i think an underrated story in the nfl today is how important it is to pay invest in your pass rushers you can't find them in the third fourth round and you can't find them for less than 10 12 million dollars if you want good ones von miller khalil mack trey flowers all those guys are really really Where good was frank and clark drafted frank clark had the off-field concerns i think he might have been drafted in the second round okay I'm not mm-hmm. sure, but you, you look at those pass rushers in order to keep those dudes. I think it's rare to find them, you know, outside of day one and day two. Yeah. But it, you, if in order to have them, you need to pay them a pretty penny. It's hard to fill in a frosty rucker or, or, or you know, veteran guys that can, you know, get paid on l- lower contracts, have success. You need to pay these guys the big bucks in order to have good ones. And I think you're going to see that more and more. And it's not even like it's hard to get guys like that in the first round. I mean, just as the Falcons, they have invested two first round picks in uh, in recent (laughs) years and both are not panning out. Um, You have guys like Asan Reddick and stuff like that. It gets complicated when you change defensive coordinators because scheme matters. And then you draft to this pass rusher who doesn't fit the new scheme, which is what happened to Riddick in Arizona. And it's just like, what are we doing? Like, it's so important. And then you change scheme and then this huge investment kit doesn't even work. And you have to trade him or try and fire the defensive coordinator and get another one in there who can work with this guy. Like there are just so many factors in this, but it's, it's clear that ultimately it is important to invest in this guy. So maybe he's getting the re- uh, the Richard Seymour treatment in new England uh, this off season. Maybe that's what happens. Possibly. I mean, that's always a chance too. And I think, you know, to continue on that edge defender, you know, the best guys are highly paid or highly invested in terms of draft capital. You look at mm-hmm. JJ Watt, Khalil Mack, Von Miller. I'd, I'd Miles say Garrett will two, get there. Miles Garrett will get there, and he was drafted very high, as high as it gets. Demarcus Lawrence is being getting paid a ton on the tag, and I think he'll get paid even more if he signs an extension. All of these guys cost a pretty penny. Daniel Hunter is a guy they invested early, very smartly invested early because of how much you know it, it, um, it's going to get increased with Demarcus Lawrence and Javion Clowney resigning deals. And you look at even Aaron Donald. He's not, he doesn't play the position, but he's a great pass rusher you pay good pass rushers i think and you invest high in good pass rushers and if you don't value that position you end up like the oakland raiders where you have nobody's on the edge and nobody's inside and you have the worst pass rushing defense by far in the nfl you you, it's not a plug and play thing you can find good run defenders off the street they signed you know jonathan hankins frosty rucker those guys were signed off the street and played well against the run but good pass rushers are hard to find. They aren't like running backs. They aren't like tight ends. You need to draft them high and you need to pay them well. 
Yeah. Um, the Lions, who traded for a just an amazing defensive tackle run stopper from uh, New York. I'm blanking on his name. What's his? Uh, is it Sean Harrison? Who was that? Um, Demon Harrison. Demon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, guess Big what? Snacks. It didn't matter because that team still sucked and their yeah, defense was true. not good. Matt Patricia because they didn't have a pass rush. They had good run, rush defense. They just did not outside of Ziggy Ansah and stuff like that. It just didn't work. Run defense isn't valuable. Playing no. the run is no longer valuable in today's NFL. You can be the best run defender for five years And the years Lions straight. doubled down on it. Yes, I don't understand. And so many teams double down on it. So many teams <laughs> draft So many teams draft running backs high in the NFL. So many teams draft run-first defensive players in the NFL. And it's just not worth it. Get the someone that the Pats are in the AFC Championship game with Damian Williams and James White as their two most valuable running backs. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> it's still baffling to see such a, you know, a team with so much success like the Pats draft a running back in the first round. And some people are going to say Sony Michelle is part of it. No. Put any guy back there. I guarantee you they're having success behind that offensive line. It's an incredible front. And I think if Sony Michelle the same got... in New Orleans and Los Angeles, where Los Angeles is a top 10 offensive line in San, uh, in San, uh, bleh, the, the New Orleans Saints have a top 10 offensive line. Exactly. Opposite. Like that matters. Like you can't just not look at their offensive line. I mean, that's why Zeke was so good as a rookie. Yes. What the and he was going to the Rams, CJ Anderson, fat CJ Anderson with loose leaves. He's not is, good. This is the Rams offensive line. Exactly. Is good. Exactly. And that goes begs the question what's the point of investing high, both from a financial standpoint, if you're looking at Le'Veon Bell, or a draft standpoint, like first round, second round, in a running back? What is the point? It doesn't make sense anymore. It, it, you Can replace these the guys. For most people. I'm sorry. Can I tell you what the point is for most of these GMs and fans? Yes. It's just fun to have an elite running back. <laughs> I agree. I think that's all it is. It's more aesthetically pleasing. It's one of those things where it's like in baseball where you don't feel great if you don't have just a power hitter in the middle of your lineup. Mm-hmm. Like you can still win a lot of games and it's just it doesn't really matter to have like a a guy in the four spot who's a great, great hitter. No, you want someone at the two spot. Like if you don't have a good two spot hitter or the most important position uh spot in the lineup if you don't have a star there then you're you're in trouble that's what you need to focus on but you don't even if you have that and you're a good team if you don't have like a power hitter in the middle it, for whatever reason just you're just like i i wish we had somebody who could hit 30 home runs strike out 900 times and uh have 120 <laughs> yard break. there's just something fun about it. it just nostalgic and feels right yeah when you have a good running back it's like mm-hmm. one of those things you just feel like your team is incomplete and it's just an outdated way of thinking and i think it's just oh, because we've sure. all been conditioned to believe you need that mm-hmm. and it's just going to take a lot of time for us to kind of recondition ourselves to realizing that oh yeah the, the it doesn't matter you, you yeah. don't need this thing you don't need this shiny object you can find these guys anywhere not only do you not need them but the capital from a draft draft capital or dollar amount you spend on them is not worth what you could spend on even a swing tackle in this league. But investing in the offensive line makes way more sense than spending anything high in the draft. I was having this conversation in the office. I don't think I, if I was a GM of a team, I don't think I would have a single running back off a rookie deal. I would have all my running backs, regardless of whether they're drafted or picked up are on rookie deals because signing veterans, you know, good veterans. Say you go and sign Tevin Coleman this off season, Le'Veon Bell. Who's doing that? (laughs) Someone will talk to you. NFL GMs. (laughs) <laughs> call me i will tell you about that two yard halfback dive special from tevin coleman um do, do not do that he's not michael turner and waiting let me just go ahead and say that what's crazy is someone's going to pay him a Jarek mckinnon contract and expect uh. him to be their lead back i'll tell you that it's going to happen and that's absurd to me signing veteran running backs at those deals does not make any sense put that money in the offensive line put that money at pass rusher put it anywhere else put it at more valuable you know who's gonna do it 
Who's going to do it? Minnesota. That, that's that's a team that could definitely do it. I also think the Raiders are a team that still wants to spend big in the running enough. back position. I think that John Gruden wants to pull the trigger on Le'Veon Bell or Tevin yeah. Coleman, a guy that he thinks can bring the Raiders back to 1998. I'm calling it right now. The Raiders are going to spend big in that position, whether it be from a draft standpoint or a, a financial standpoint, maybe even both, but I could totally see it. There's a couple staffs left in the league that still value the running back position, not highly, too highly, and I think the Raiders are one. Can the Raiders sign Pat Devlin this offseason to a contract? <laughs> that's not that's not a bad shout either. Might as well at this point. I mean, him, you're gonna need a couple other fullbacks on the roster. He too, could be their Mike Allstott. Sure. You need you need multiple fullbacks in that scheme. You really do. And invest high in them, pay them more than they're worth. See, I'm all about it. Like if John Gruden <laughs> wants to go back to nineteen ninety nine, I'm for it because if the Raiders are gonna be bad, at least be bad in like a really interesting way. And you're just like, I wanna watch it and be like, what year is this? <laughs> I want to watch if I'm having to watch Raider football in 2019. Somehow the film be... gets worse and everyone's like, what's going on? This is really exactly. like, I you, like it. If you're with whoever you're with, you're just like, hey, hey, look at this. What year does this game look <laughs> like it's from? No, no, no. This is right now. Is that not Tyrone Wheatley? No, that's <laughs> Le'Veon Bell after a year of not playing football. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be great. Um, oh, man. But either way. Chiefs, Pats, I think we all got what we wanted because even if the Chargers or the Colts had won, I just, there's something just amazing about getting Mahomes versus Brady in the AFC title game and getting Breeze versus um, Jared Goff and Sean McVay um, in the NFC title game. It's it's nice having the four best teams and the four best offenses in the final group. Uh, but I do want to ask you about what happened with Foles because they went up 14 nothing on the Saints. Um, I was even a little nervous there. And then obviously the Saints recovered and the defense held strong. But what did you notice about this group? Um, your guys at PFF said something that I, I hadn't even really thought about until I went back and watched it. Was that like Nick Foles makes every throw look like he was under significant duress. And I can't unsee it. It's one of those things where now I'm never going to be able to watch Nick Foles throw without being like, he's being a little dramatic. He doesn't need to do that. Um, but what did you notice outside this team could not run the football? It seems like... Uh, it just nothing was open downfield. He targeted a lot of guys all around. So looking at his pass chart, Nick Foles was all over the place, but he was most comfortable within zero to 10 yards and intermediate stuff. But he, he struggled downfield outside of a big Alshon Jeffries uh, play. But what did you see from Foles that made you think, oh, this team's only going to get two third down conversions in uh, a winner go home situation? What uh, what did you see there? I, th- I mean, his receivers struggled to get open. Uh, I think they took Shout away to Golden Tate. Yeah. <laughs> I think his receivers, though, Alshon Jeffrey struggled to create separation. I think he threw some 50-50 balls that in the past worked, but didn't work against Marshawn Lattimore and some of those other guys. He was under pressure a little bit more. And I think maybe not, the stage wasn't too big for him. And I think if you go down to it, Alshon Jeffrey catches that pass and it doesn't get intercepted. Foles might have won that game. I don't think it was as, blowout, as big of a blowout as maybe it looks. I think it was very, very close. And I think Nick Foles had some throws that he didn't have in previous years, but he still was postseason Nick Foles I think just the 50-50 balls that went in his favor the luck and the magic that was behind him before that game that's been in around him since he won that Super Bowl was there but it kind of faded on some plays and I think those plays ended up being costly ones so I have some breaking news for you let's do it it turns out targeting your best player on the field 17 times can help uh, turn an offense around oh for sure Michael Thomas. It turns out, hey, Falcons' new offensive coordinator, Dirk Cutter. Um, I don't think this is going to be as much of a problem for you as it was for Steve Sarkeesian, but uh, it's okay to target Julio Jones 17 times a game. 
It's more than fine. Go ahead and do that every single week. Good things happen when you target an elite receiver who can get open and make plays on his own. Um, it, and a lot uh, of that's it, play design. A lot of it's yes. saying, hey, this guy's on. This guy's a monster right now. Let's make Michael Thomas our primary read for 10 Eagles of the next 12 plays. in shambles. Let's mm-hmm. just do this over and over again and see if they exactly because he didn't target anybody else. Like it was Alvin Kamara out of the backfield and then Michael Thomas over and over as it and should over be again. what's the point of getting these other guys in the mix until yeah, they can Ted stop Ginn. it what's the he point had five targets like why does ted ginn need five targets in 2019 <laughs> <laughs> that's fair oh my god um i don't know that was like the theme for my notes is just like i feel like the nfl has just gotten to the point where these coaches are so smart where they've gotten they just they're like why are we trying to spread the ball on i feel like there was more um diversity in offenses just a couple years ago and now it's just exploit 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 and uh nobody has an answer for michael thomas no not at all and i think that trend is going to continue when you start to see teams possess these elite players that are borderline unguardable you know count yard mike that's his twitter handle and i think it's fair i think this guy really (laughs) had a you know a good game against this eagle secondary that shouldn't have been able to guard him i think the saints know that and it, it was impressive to see how much he dominated, but still almost expected. Rosal Douglas, Devontae Maddox, LeCrevion Blanc, those guys aren't going to get it done against the one of the best receivers in the NFL. I think DeAndre Hopkins might take the cake there, but he's still up there and very much in the conversation. Why? Uh, let's switch gears to, because there's just nothing else really from the Saints-Eagles that I took away outside of. Hey, great win for the Saints. That's like the, oh, and also a lot of eerie similar stats um, to their 2009 Super Bowl run. Um, they lost. Did you know this? They lost to the same three teams in the regular season that they did in 2018. Wow, that's fluky and not. Is that I think, not? Is that not wild? <laughs> that is wild, and I think they were number one in offense. But <laughs> Drew Brees actually graded out the best that year in 2009, the regular season. Um, and he did it again this year. Lots of their similarities, year? man. Uh-oh. It's it's wild. It's all a conspiracy. I mean, I <laughs> I, I have the Saints winning the Super Bowl. I, I there think you go. That's what's happening here, but. Um, it is fascinating how some little things are like, how is that even possible? What are the odds of the Saints going 13 and 3 in 2009 when they won the Super Bowl and uh, doing it all over again and having their Tracy Porter 2.0 and Marshawn Lattimore and just so many different um, things that just, it, it's, it's eerie, man. Um, yeah, I don't know. Saints, they're, they're good. It turns out, spoiler alert, Sean Payton and Drew Brees and Michael Thomas still good at football and Alvin Kamara too. Um, Cowboys, this was the more interesting one to me. Why do you think this team is so bad on the road and yet they're so good at home? Uh, it, it, Jerry World has a lot of magic powers. You can't you can't rule mm, that out. Can't rule that uh, out. I, I right. think you also maybe more so than at home versus away, but you never know what Dak Prescott you're going to get. Good mm-hmm. Dak Prescott, you know, inconsistent Dak Prescott. It's usually inconsistent Dak Prescott, but you don't really know. And I think seeing that inconsistency, specifically his play from a clean pocket, one of the worst in the NFL, but his play under pressure, one I of the think best. That is. That that's volatility. I think we've seen over you know the last you know two, since 2006 studying the data year over year, passer rating and grade under pressure is a very volatile stat. You could be good one year, bad the next. I think it depends on a lot of different factors, and that's why. While passer rating from a clean pocket is all on you for most part. Obviously, there's some other factors there as well, but from a clean pocket, you need to make accurate throws tight window throws, push the ball downfield, and that's consistent year over year. But with playing under pressure, you got to have guys that scramble the, do the scramble drill right. What kind of pressure is it? Is both your tackles getting blown off or is it just one? And that kind of stuff and seeing how well he's played under pressure is great, 
But again, volatile, seeing how poorly he's played from a clean pocket, not making those decisions, not pushing the ball downfield. That's the problem with Dak Prescott. And the problem is going to continue, especially if they extend him to a long, lucrative deal, which I do not recommend, but I think they may end up doing. That's going to be an interesting contract negotiation because I think if Dak is a team guy, he takes less. Um, the Cowboys should be like, uh, here's what happened when the Ravens paid Joe Flacco, when the Bengals paid Andy Dalton, when uh, team after team pays their mid-tier quarterback. Dolphins, um, Tannehill, Raiders, yeah, like, Carr. It's, it's you Matt, can do Detroit that when Lions, you have an Matthew elite quarterback. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that when you have, I mean, even Russell Wilson now in Seattle. Um, it's just once you pay him the next kind of money, it's just that's part of the reason the Pats are able to do what they're able to do with him taking pay cuts. I just... I wonder what happens here because and people he had always it. dispute that claim with well they paid Aaron Rodgers a lot of money and they're good they paid Drew Brees a lot of money and they're also in the Super Bowl exactly that's <laughs> yeah. always the counter they're future Hall of Famers if you have a future Hall of Famer give them that's the bank fine, yeah. if you don't really know if you don't know if this guy can win you a Super Bowl don't pay him like you think he can win you a Super Bowl like they did right. Stafford Tannehill Carr even Bortles got more money than he should that yeah. kind of Roster decision. I mean, roster management, cap management doesn't fare well down the road. Matt Ryan now. That contract, it doesn't look great. Like, <laughs> I, I like Matt Ryan. He's still a top 10 quarterback. Like, he's around that 9 10 spot. Like, he's good enough to win you a Super Bowl. But man, I, I just, this year, he got a pass. He was not great down the stretch. And he got a, it's just, he's in good graces. He's the best Falcons quarterback of all time. He'll get passes for that. Um, you kind of have to ride this out and you had to pay him and everything else. But I think if he really wanted this team to get to that next level and stay sustainable as Super Bowl contenders, he had to take less so they could invest more in the defensive line, the secondary, and just this defense. Because ultimately, um, like just looking at what the Cowboys did, like they traded a first round pick for Amari Cooper. Like that was a game changer for them. Um, we both love Amari Cooper. He gets a lot of targets. He's good. He's just an incredible route runner. He's so insane off the line of scrimmage. Like that kind of stuff was huge for them. And it helped Michael Gallup. It helped all these other guys because they weren't the main target on offense. Like Michael Gallup had a great uh, touchdown catch in this game. And he was a lot better after Amari Cooper got there. Cole Beasley was uh, more open after he got there. Like, Dak Prescott is better off if he takes less and this team continues investing in the offensive line and uh, just Amari Cooper types, like more defense help. Like that is where they should go with him. And I I understand like it's, I'm not going to tell some dude how to get paid and everything else, but at the same time, like if he's not going to, if he's not willing to take that kind of discount to stay in Dallas and be the quarterback of just this huge franchise. And also he's going to get the endorsements. He's going to make up a lot of money. You're the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. You can take less and earn it back in other ways. I mean, it happens in the NBA all the time. Like that's just an easy thing. You can be easily marketed as the Cowboys quarterback. You can make that money up in different ways. Um, I, I just, I, it's going to be interesting because if he's not willing to do that, I'm just like, if I'm Jerry Jones, Drew Locke, come right down, <laughs> sir. Because, and what, what's the yeah. yeah? What's the opportunity cost with not paying? Say, say Dak wants to be the top three highest paid quarterback in the NFL. That's what he wants. Bottom line. Goodbye. <laughs> what is the opportunity cost of set, saying no? Thank you for your services and drafting a guy like Will Greer, Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray. Yeah. Even if he's not good, you take a year, draft a guy next year. Like that makes way more sense than committing 
five years to a guy and putting your your team into purgatory. I think yeah. that's exactly what happens when you sign a staffer, Tannehill, Carr. The names go on and on. If Dak Prescott wants to be a top three, even top five paid highest paid quarterback in the NFL when it's all you know after his contract negotiations, I'm waving goodbye and holding the door open. It makes no sense to do that to your roster when you know you have a guy that needs a lot of talent because Amari Cooper is going to need to get extended soon. You're going to yeah. need to add some talent to that He's roster. He's more valuable. <laughs> exactly. I, I think it doesn't make any sense. And I think you could easily see this Cowboys team really, really struggle if they have, you know, if they have Dak Prescott on your team at, at that, at that, at that salary. Yeah. Um, it should be interesting. I don't think he's going to get it. I really don't. We'll see. But I we'll have to see. I think it's too easy. It's too easy in today's NFL for a quarterback that is kind. We've seen it time and time again. Is now the time it ends? I don't know. It'd be impressive. It'd be very impressive if Dak Prescott settles for a contract that makes him, you know, between that five and ten range. I, I think you have to expect him to get in that five and ten range because it's new. But if he falls in that range, it'd be pretty impressive to say for Dak and the understanding across, you know, from both parties. Yeah. Um. Last thing on the divisional round. Uh, why do you think this defense graded so poorly on PFF over the weekend? What happened to this defense that was just so good all year long? A lot of missed tackles. Mm-hmm. I think that didn't help anybody. I think the Rams' offensive line truly demolished the, that, that offensive line. I think it was impressive to see. Uh, that, that's that's going to happen. I mean, you know, that's it wasn't taco happen. time is what you're saying. Exactly. It was not taco time. And going against Andrew Whitworth and, and that offensive line, it, they got hit in the mouth and didn't handle it well. C.J. Anderson ran wild on them for good reason. Linebackers were missing blocks. I mean, linebackers were missing tackles, not reading lanes. And next thing you know, you're down a lot, and that defense is down in the dumps. <sighs> oh, well. Good season for the Cowboys, too. They shouldn't have been in the playoffs. I don't think they're the best team in the NFC, and I think if the Redskins did not fall off cliff injury-wise, uh, the Cowboys, I think, were the third best team in the NFC East. So they should be happy to be there because I don't think they belong. And they also had a, my favorite uh, playoff game of the season so far against the Seahawks. That was a lot of fun. So they gave me that fun nice. Saturday night. <laughs> right. So thank you for that, um, even though that was more Brian Schottenheimer refusing to take the training wheels off Russell Wilson in a win-or-go-home game. But... A um, couple other news and notes that I want to talk about. Uh, best coordinator hires for you right now. Is there any of them stuck out? John DeFilippo is uh, going to Jacksonville to team up with Doug Marone. That's a sneaky good hire, I think, where he was just a bad fit with what uh, Mike Zimmer wanted to do in Minnesota. He's an old school Bill Parcells type, run the football, establish the run, play hard defense. And John DeFilippo came from what they were doing in Philly the year before and just throwing the ball over the place and not really caring about establishing the run and Dalvin Cook and all that kind of stuff and making Kirk Cousins take long drops and him just getting pulverized and everything else. Like, I I think it's a better fit. And I think he has a chance to revitalize his uh, career and – um, Jacksonville. So he stands out to me, but is there, I, is there any name that stands out? Greg Williams in New York, Steve Wilkes in, uh, Cleveland. Is there any of those stand out to you? I think Todd Monk and going to the Cleveland Browns. And okay. I know Freddie, I know Freddie Kitchens is going to be calling the plays. And it's going to be his offense, but he brought him there for a reason. And if they're able to work together and be these mad scientists in the kitchen, I apologize for the pun. I think it's going to be exciting. I think Todd Monk seeing how much he values the deep passing game. And he did it with Ryan Fitzpatrick and James Winston. Now he has Baker Mayfield, one of the best yeah. deep passers in the NFL. That combination, along with Freddie Kitchens and his creative play design, that's going to be very scary. I am very excited for this Browns offense now that you have two offensive-minded, 
capable coordinators, capable play callers, all under the same roof with a very good QB and stars at the receiver position. Jarvis Landry, I think Rashard, Rashard Higgins got better as well. Love and now Rashard factor, Higgins. And now you factor in a Nick Chubb, a David Njoku, and maybe they have some pieces in the draft free agency. This offense is going to be very good. I'm excited to see Monk in there. I'm excited to see Kitchens there. And I think they are a team to beat in the AFC. Not just a team in the you know, in the hunt. Not just a team that can push in the postseason. But I think they're a team to beat. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and the the Bengals, you have to hire anyone basically, right? And my guy Bill Laser looking for a looking for a job. Somebody hire my guy Bill Laser. It's Laser time, all times. Yeah, I, I, I think somewhere. they're they're interested in Taylor, aren't they? I think that's the that's the rumor. And I He's thirty five. What is this? Why are they hiring a QB coach? Like, just well, you know why? You I know, do why. know why? <laughs> I know why, but God, they cannot. I mean, it's better than Vance Joseph or um, Hugh Jackson, sure. But I like it. I kind of like it. Not, only because it, they zigged when I thought they were going to zag. I thought the Bengals were going to go with the normal Vance Joseph hire, you know, the, the, and really stay. Yeah. And really stay with someone that needs a rebound, not not a young up and coming guy that is unproven. Instead, they went the completely opposite way that I thought they'd go. And I think some Bengals fans are going to be excited about that. Some Bengals are going to be excited that they made this decision instead. Will it flop? I don't know. Like, like you said, the guy's young, doesn't have a lot of experience, and he's going against with with the team a lot of question marks offensively and defensively. Yeah, is that gonna? I guess it's gonna happen, and they haven't announced the hire because uh, the Rams are still in it. But um, Brian Flores in Miami. That's interesting. I love the Denver snap, the Denver snap, the Denver staff that they're putting together. Like Fangio, I think is going to yes. do really good things uh, with that defense and Chris Harris, especially uh, if they can find someone opposite of him in the draft. Um, and just the idea of put it, giving him the opportunity to develop Bradley Chubb um, next to Von Miller, like that defense is going to be back to top five size. Cause they were about top 10 in defensive DBO. I want to say um, this past season, even with a slight regression under Joe Woods, but um, they hired the QB coach from the 49ers. Um, they also stole Mike Munchak away from Pittsburgh to be their offensive line coach. So they're going to be a run-heavy team that's um, – it looks like they're going to have to commit to Case Keenum at least for another year, and we'll see if they who they go with in the draft or they go after like a Flacco or somebody else. That might happen. But either way, they're going to roll with Philip Lindsay, who was just a man among boys. Uh, and a great story. We're in 30 and talking with Terrell Davis, and I encourage everybody to watch that dinner, dinner that they had on NFL.com. Um, I just, I uh, I like it. I think the Broncos could have had a disastrous offseason, and it, it all makes sense. The personnel decisions they're making based on their roster, like it all makes sense. John Elway does not deserve this many hires and these many roster changes. Like it's insane that they're just – all right, John, try again. Um, but I, what is it? Four coaches in like two, in uh, three years, two years, something like that. Um, it's just been bad since Kubiak uh, left. But um, I don't know. That's a sneaky good one too. And I cannot stop watching the Adam Gase uh, press conference. <laughs> That's an interesting hire for sure. I, I can't believe that press conference. I don't even know what to say about it. The Adam Gase one is incredible. You can't even put words in to describe it if you have to see the video and kind of see what just happened. The tacos edition is nice. I have to admit, it, 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 I made me, yes. it made me laugh. It was very good. Uh, and going back to what you said, I, I, I do like the Denver staff. I think Vangio, Munchak, all those guys, that's an exciting staff, and they have good pieces in place. I think the offensive line is going to get better. If you want to be a run-heavy team in the NFL, you're going to need a good offensive line. I'm glad they're starting there and not investing two first-round picks in running backs because that's not the way to go. But investing offensive line makes sense. I think getting better there is always good. Um, 
it, will they be able to compete in the AFC West though with Philip Rivers if he's you know if he's still kicking around and Patrick Mahomes? I don't know. I, I mean, you got to put up points in this league. Uh, yeah. You're not going to do it with Case Keenum in a run first offense. I'll tell you well, that. We have Joe Flacco right now. Who could forget? He's on the way. <laughs> if Joe Flacco, I, I honestly think Denver needs to take another swing at the bat for a QB. Oh, John, I agree. Give, yes. g- give him another one. It, take two. Take two. I, I think it's an underappreciated strategy in trying to take as many good qu- or quote unquote highly great saves or higher on your draft board good quarterbacks in every draft and hope you find one that's kind of good because you need that if before Kyler's you need there, everything else. Late in the first, you do it. What'd you say? If Kyler is available, you t- you take Kyler. Oh, yes. If Kyler, I, mean, I think Will Greer, I mean, there's names that are intriguing, that have tools, that are better and have more potential than Case Keenum. You might as well take one or two and really take a, a, a quarterback high in every draft. It has the highest positional value. Even if you have a good one, finding a good one as a backup and trading him away for bigger draft capital works too, i.e. New England. I think it's it's an unappreciated strategy just trying to have the best quarterback room in the NFL. I think not enough teams do it. We already have a QB. We don't have to draft one in the you know the first two ra- or first three rounds for 10 years no start drafting them now find those good ones now because building this roster is important but at the same time having that QB of the future and or having that capital to trade away is still very valuable all right i'm gonna throw three quarterbacks at you and tell me where they're going based on the coordinator hires and coaching hires this offseason ready yes ryan Tannehill. Not he's not staying with the Dolphins. I don't know where he's going, but it's not with the Dolphins. And I don't know if this guy's going to be going to have a landing spot anywhere. Maybe not a starting position. I don't know. He played very bad last year. It would surprise me to see for a team to really jump in on him and get ready to put all, you know, surround him with talent and try and push to the playoffs because I don't think that can happen. I agree. I think he should be the new backup in Atlanta. I like it. Do it. Matt Schaub should not be the backup. It's terrifying that they're still doing that again. No, give me Ryan Tannehill as a backup. I like it. I think he can fall in that Jacoby Brissett role where it's like, you don't love it in that Nick, he just belongs to Nick Foles, that kind of group where it's a 20 to 25 best quarterback in the NFL, but it's just not good enough to win. But if you can have him as your backup, you feel really good about your quarterback room. Yes. Um, Teddy Bridgewater. Ooh, that's a good question. That's a guy that I'm willing to kind of surround with talent. I think teams like even New York, you know, the the Giants, the Jags, those are the teams that come up to mind in terms of a guy they're willing to take a quarterback now, a veteran. Those two teams make sense for me, and I'm excited to see where he goes. I think I think the best landing spot for him is Washington. Ooh, that's another good one too. But you're going to need some receivers there, man. Josh Dotson. I mean, I love Josh Dotson. You have Jordan <laughs> Reed. You have two great. The other thing too is he's a good checkdown guy. And guess what they're going to have coming back next year? Darius Chris Thompson. Price. Oh, Darius guys as well. I think it's a safe fit. Like the offensive line's not bad when they're healthy. Like I don't know. I mean, I want. I don't want to send Teddy to Bruce Allen country, but hey, maybe there's some Doug Williams stuff if he goes to Washington. <laughs> there and you they, go. Uh, I don't know. He could play right away. I like it. It's a winnable NFC East. I could see them going ten and six next year with Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think it's out of the out of the norm. I'd do it, but they're in cap hell. By the way, having to pay Alex Smith and everybody else. But um, Nick Foles, the last one. Mm, that's another team that I think the Jags come up. You know, another guy where the Jags yeah. come up. The Jaguars could easily go after Nick Foles and try and win with Jalen Ramsey and that star-studded defense. Just get you know, keep extend that window while you have all those that all that talent on the roster, rather than kind of. I think there are teams that if you even get Nick Foles. Draft a QB too. Try and swing the bat. I always, you know, always swing the bat when you don't have a, a long-term answer under center. Even when you do, it sometimes makes sense down the road. So I think I'm excited to see the Jags take a quarterback high and maybe invest in a guy like Nick Foles. Yeah, I think Jags makes the most sense, especially with Filippo there. But if I was Nick Foles, I'd go to Tennessee. Oh, 
and just and take Mariota's spot or yeah, back Mariota. up Mariota. It's over, man. Oh no, oh, there's no way they're going away back? from Mariota after this offseason. There's no way. I, I I think it makes sense. I don't think Are he's you a Mariota elite believer. No, not in the slightest. But I yeah. don't see that management making that decision yet. They don't have to. If he was not yet. the number two overall pick, I just don't think we're giving him this long of a leash. I agree. No, I hundred percent agree. I, I think his leash is already too long, but I don't think they don't have they don't have to make a decision on him yet. So I don't think they are going to make a decision on him yet and stick him in for another year. Mm, I agree. I just I would do it. Bring in some real competition, not name Blaine Gabbert. I'm I'm in. I'm all in for a backup Nick Foles in Tennessee. That would be an ideal situation for Tennessee. Um, last thing, and before we quickly preview the games, uh, Frank Clark, you had a thread on him. Give me your uh, 30 second to a minute gushing over <laughs> what you found with Frank Clark uh, highlights uh, the Seattle Seahawks monstrous defensive end. I think monstrous is a great way to describe him. He's got speed, he's got strength, and he's a bully. He plays aggressive. It's a guy who can win one-on-one matchups, both against the run and the pass. You ha- you can't find those guys. They don't grow on trees. This guy's going to make a lot of money in the offseason, and Seattle would be stupid not to be the ones paying up. This guy is incredible, and he tweeted shortly after I sent out that thread that he was playing on 60% last year. That's insane. If this guy wasn't even 100%, even if it's exaggerating, so he was at 80 you don't want to see this man at 100%. Mike McGlinchey doesn't want to see this man at 100%. He's a scary dude, and I'm excited to see him get paid, well-deservedly get paid, and then move on and be better next year. Yeah. Do you think he stays in Seattle? I, I, I think the Seattle understands his value. I, I think they know they need yeah. good pass rush. And after losing Michael Bennett— Cliff Averill's not walking through that door. Exactly. Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett aren't there anymore. I, I think you need to keep a guy when you find one. I could not bang that gavel hard enough. You need to keep good pass rushers when you have them. And, and, and if you lose them, it's so much harder to find a new one. You can't just pay a middle-tier free agent. You can't just draft one in the third round. You need to invest high, and that's easier said than done. All right, let's quickly preview this weekend's games. That I'm just I'm so excited for both of these games. Um, I have Chiefs winning in a blowout. Just going to go ahead and say that right off the bat. Wow. They're going to beat the shit out blow of the, out. the Patriots. Yeah. That game is not going to be close. Either the Patriots are going to blow out the Chiefs or the Chiefs are going to blow out the Pats. Okay. I, I just don't see it being close. I think I'm Rams Saints is I'm super close. I'm going complete opposite. I'm going complete Interesting. opposite. I'm going that it's going to be close and the GOAT's coming out on top. I think Tom oh, Brady wins this one. In Arrowhead in the cold. I So here's my rationale here. And I think we saw this kind of in uh, the Chiefs-Colts game, which is I th- Pat Mahomes is not going to do what Phil Rivers did. He's going to scramble around. If Trey Flowers is able to get in the backfield, guess what? He's going to run around. And obvi- like it's going to be Trey Flowers versus Mitchell Schwartz, right? So yeah. that's, that's going to be nice for the Chiefs to be able to have Schwartz, who's been really good for them this year at right tackle. That's going to be nice to have. Um, they don't need to run the football to be effective, kind of like what the Colts did with Marlon Mack. I think you're going to see um, I just I don't know who they're putting on Tyreek Hill. Is it Gilmore? Is it your guy J.C. Jackson? Who's covering Travis Kelsey? Like I don't know who's doing that. Like they're so good at converting on third down and having like because that was the other thing is the Pats destroyed the Chargers in time possession and killed them on third downs. The Chiefs killed the Colts on third downs and killed them in time possession. I think I'm just a bigger believer in the Chiefs being able to kill the Pats in time possession and that like. If they're not able to get pressure with Trey Flowers like they did um, against Philip Rivers, I, I just I think Pat Mahomes is going to find a way to slice this defense. I really do. Brian Flores, one foot out the door in Miami. I just there's something about this group that I just I can't see them losing at home, and just this big. It's just everything about the season. Just 
It should be Mahomes versus Brees. This is not Brady's year. This is just... They lose Kareem Hunt late in the season. It just doesn't matter. The defense has an amazing game the week before, and this defense sucks. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't just escape the fact that, like, I don't know who's covering Tyreek Hill. I don't know who's covering Travis Kelsey on third and seven. I... I believe in them. I believe in this group. I think they're going to do it. And I think they're going to w- get up big. And I just, I don't think the Pats are built to come from behind in this season. I think with the way they nickel and dime teams, I don't think you can rely on Chris Hogan and Ryan Gronkowski anymore. And guy and Phil Dorsett, like there's no Josh Gordon. Like, I just think they're built to play from ahead, kind of like the Colts are. And if they're not able to utilize James White and um, Julian Edelman in the passing game, I just don't see how they come out on top. I, I couldn't agree more with that comment about the Pats aren't built to play from behind anymore. I agree. The Chiefs go up two scores early. It's going to be very hard for this Pats team to win. I just don't see that happening. I think they're they going to keep... come back. I guess the other thing is like you could see the Chiefs coming back from 21 mm-hmm. nothing against the Pats. Yes. Oh, for sure. I, I think that the, the Pats can control this game. I think the Chiefs overall are the better team. And there's a reason they're favored. They're at home. I think there's a, they are the better team. But I think if the Pats can keep this close, and I believe in Belichick having the ability to do what he needs to do to keep this game close within one score, I think Tom Brady, if given the opportunity in a two-minute drill to win this game, will win this game. I think that he's built for these games. He's built for January. I think Belichick knows and it's one of the, you know, it's the first time in, what was it, 67 games, and that includes the postseason, that they've been underdogs. I think it's a yeah. new feeling. It's a new feeling for Bill Belichick, and I think it's going to be an exciting one. I think he's going into this game with more of a chip on his shoulder than he's had in, de- in roughly a decade. And I'm excited to see what this Bill Belichick brings. And we saw a little bit of that against the Chargers. And if we see more of that against the, pa- the Chiefs, this game could get ugly. And, I mean, he had to win the locker room back this offseason. Did you see that report from Ian O'Connor this week? Uh, no, I didn't. So basically he lost a lot of the locker room and trust from a lot of guys and Tom Brady's uh, respect for benching Malcolm Butler in the Super wow. Bowl. And he had to work really hard to get back in a lot of guys' good graces. That makes sense though, honestly. Yeah. Um, I, we'll never know what happened there, but uh, um, one of the great what ifs in Super Bowl history. But um, Saints Rams, do you have that as a blow or do you think that's also close? I think it will be close, but I have the Saints winning pretty handily. All right, we're on the same page there. I, I, I think the Saints will win this game. The home field advantage matters a ton for Drew Brees, matters a ton for this offense. The Rams' defense is better than the Eagles, but I don't think it's good enough to stop what Drew Brees and Michael Thomas are doing right now. I think they win this game handily. Doesn't Drew Brees, though, grade basically the same on the road and at home? Yeah, the grades are, are similar, but he's had some bad games on the road. He's had some bad yeah. games outside. He's had bad games outside. When he plays inside, the dude is a machine. And I think you see that time and time again. I'm excited to see Drew Brees in the dome against this Rams defense because I think he can do damage. Yeah. Um, I think Brady has like a huge drop off from being in the dome versus being on, in the elements. Like he's just so, like 97.6 or something in the elements. And he's like an 80 something in the dome. Inside. Thought, <laughs> that, that's yeah, incredible. Yeah, he's like the, it's like the bizarro Peyton Manning stat. Wow. It's it's weird. Um, yeah, I it just it, something about Marcus Peters on Michael Thomas is a little concerning. Um, <laughs> I don't know who's covering Michael Thomas in the game. It kind of goes back to like what we were talking about. Exploitation is the name of today's NFL. It's the name of today's basketball. Everything is just teams are just like, what is your weakness? We're going to do whatever we can to step on it. Um, I think this offensive line is the best offensive line the Rams have faced this postseason. That matters. Not being able to utilize Donald and Sue, and Sue was great. Um, they'll, they'll get some pressure, but 
Armstead and Ramchick exist, and this offensive line is good. Uh, Max Unger is at center for a reason, and I I believe that they're going to be able to keep Drew Brees upright, and I just they're going to pick him apart, and I think it's um it's going to be close. I think it'll be fun. Um, maybe we'll see kind of the same thing where the Saints fall behind a little bit early and Gurley has a big run or something. Robert Woods gets open deep, something like that. But um, and shout out to Robert Woods, best receiver in football, according to Trey Aikman. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just can't see it. I can't see the Rams coming out on top here. No, not at all. I think they, they have a good team. Sean McVay and Jared Goff will put Jeremy Goff. I've been saying that a lot lately. Jared, Jared Goff. Goff. He's, I've been he saying looks kind of Irish. Jared Goff. I think they're going to put together a good game plan. I think they have offensive weapons. I think there's talent there, but I think this Drew Brees, this Drew Brees team and this offense is better. I think the better team wins this one, especially in the dumb. All right. Austin, we did it. One game left after Let's this. Let's do it. I'm excited. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, read Austin's great work. We've cited a lot of it on this podcast. He has done great work at Pro Football Focus all year. And, man, I really do appreciate you doing this with me every week. It's it's a lot of fun. Of course, man. No problem. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas. And like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Thank you for your support. And we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Nobody builds 5G. Like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.